to Get Outside With Kids, the podcast that inspires you to have more amazing adventures outside with your family. Firstly, if you're new to our podcast, welcome. We're so happy that you're here. You can go back and listen to, what, 70 episodes, Jen? 70 episodes so it's far. A lot. It's, it's a, a lot, lot of episodes. And in all of our episodes, we like to, you know, we like to talk to you about tips and tricks for actually getting outside, but we also like to talk about when things go wrong, because sometimes they do go wrong. <laughs> and we're talking about, uh, you know, messy, muddy mistakes where a kid slipped and fell on the first 10 metres of a trail and ended up covered in mud and he had to go home. Um, but one of the things that's come up a lot, I think, Jen, in our messy, muddy mistake stories from our guests is unexpected things happening while you're out on a hike or while you're out camping. And, you know, maybe a storm rolled in or maybe you didn't expect the rain. Maybe you hadn't realized there was snow um, in an area. And I think those stories have come up a lot, right? I could think of like 10 guests off the top of my head who've had those stories, right? Oh, like so many times and ourselves included too. Yes, like us too. So, oh gosh, so, yes. Sometimes you have the best of intentions and you just forget to check the weather, like where you're going as opposed to like where your house is if the hike is in a different location. Um, and one of the questions that has come up, I think as well is, you know, it's one thing when cute little mistakes go wrong, but what would you do if you found yourself in a much more uh, dangerous situation or you have fallen and hurt yourself, which I hope doesn't happen to you? Um, if you're here in Canada or in the province of British Columbia, what are the next steps you could take to, of course, get out of that situation? And that's what our guest today is going to be addressing. We're so excited to have Sandra from BC Adventure Smart. Um, Adventure Smart is a program of search and rescue, the Search and Rescue Association, and it's designed to keep you all safe. And it's not just relevant to BC because the kinds of things she's going to talk to us about today could apply to wherever you are. They're really about preparing and what you can do in an emergency. So we're excited to be able to share this topic with you here in British Columbia um, at the moment in May. It's spring, but people are so excited to get outside. This is great timing for this episode because it just gives you a couple of things that you can remember and some amazing resources. So we hope that you'll love this episode and that will help you and your family stay really safe and reduce any kind of nasty incidents that happen um, as you kind of prepare for your spring and summer adventures. We are so excited to have Sandra with us today from Adventure Smart BC. If you have been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that we love encouraging families to get outside and to have adventures outside with their family. But if you're new to getting outside, or even if you're not, there are some things that are really, really critical for you to have a safe adventure while you're outside. So Sandra, thank you so much for coming uh, to our podcast and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I think we're all mums. Mine might be a little bit older than yours. My kids are 25 and 22, but we've been on so many adventures and it's been great all along and still still we get out there together or not as often as we used to. Uh, <laughs> and I can't wait to share with you what we have here at the Adventure Smart Program in relation to for families to get outdoors and kids and how we can all do it safely and reach our destination, which is actually is home. Yes, I love that, Sandra. You know, we we see sometimes people being like, I made it to the summit of a mountain. And we're like, no, you didn't make it, you're halfway. Can you tell us a little bit um, about the the work that Adventure Smart does and specifically how it applies to families? You know, a lot of our listeners who are listening in, hello to all of you, uh, a lot of have young children and, you know, might be in some cases getting into the outdoors for the first time with kids and they might not even have been doing this before they had children. So can you tell us about Adventure Smart and the kinds of the kinds of things that you that you share with families about getting outside? 
everything that we've got here meets the needs of all users and all age groups, demographics, cultures. You know, if you love the outdoors, we have something for you, which is really exciting. The Adventure Smart program started almost two decades ago by the BC Search and Rescue Association. And the reason it started because there are quite a few search and rescue calls here in the province of British Columbia, Canada, uh, more than everywhere else in the country. And the search and rescue community wanted to help reduce the number and severity of those incidents and provide reliable outdoor education for families, children, outdoor enthusiasts, no matter who you are, if you love to spend time outside, uh, Adventure Smart can help you. So the program was started here almost 20 years ago. And then based on the provincial success, it went national. So there is representation in every single province and territory, which is really exciting in Canada as a whole. So it is a national program and a great feather in our provincial cap here in, in British Columbia to say that it was it was started here by the BC Search and Rescue Association. That's who I work directly for, actually. And we continue to thrive here in the province. We are an active, healthy province. A lot of people love to get outdoors. There's no question. I think all three of us are can say yes to that as well. There's lots of activities. And this reliable information, this outdoor education, these resources, whatever you want to call it, um, are here free of charge to provide you with the tools, the best practices to head out there safely and to plan before you go. Make sure you've got all your boxes ticked. We talk about the three T's a lot. I can elaborate on that shortly. And so that you do reach your destination. And, and as Kate said, the summit's halfway and you still need to reach your destination, which is home. And everything we provide for you via webinar, program delivery, face-to-face, -face, social media, traditional media, blogs, articles, the list goes on podcasts it's here for you to get informed and go outdoors safely and uh, and help you be adventure smart so a lot of uh, in our day jobs actually sandra and i work together to train some of the staff who i work with in my day job um, and i know that you do a lot of that training for kind of adults can you tell us some of the concepts that kids should be aware of and some of the things that you train um, parents on to share those messages specifically with kids we have five programs underneath the adventure smart umbrella and the, the one that we brought in first back in 2004 is the children's program. And it's called the Hug a Tree and Survive. It's a great program for kids targeted kindergarten to grade six. And it really supports their love of the outdoors and adventure. And it teaches them how not to get lost in the first place, but what to do if they do become lost and they find themselves in a situation where they're separated from their family, their group, their guardians. And, and we empower them with this information. Four points that are covered primarily in the Hug a Tree and Survive focus around encouraging, encouraging the children to tell an adult where they're going. Let's say you're at a campsite and they're just going to head over to a little trail or even a playground or a different area of the campground. We remind the children they need to tell an adult where they're going. The second part of it is if they get lost or separated, they have to hug a tree and stay put. And uh, hugging a tree is, is kind of the phrase that is, is creating a space for them to create a home until they're found. This is their home away from home until they can be found by search and rescue volunteers. So hug a tree and stay put, stay put. Keeping warm and dry is critical. We talked to the children how they can do that really well with clothing and a few extra things they would have with them and building a nest in the forest, which is fun. There's lots of great components to this program. Last but not least, help searchers by answering their calls. We need to let the children know that they can use their safety whistles as a signal to communicate with search and rescue, loud noises, yelling does work. But those four points are key. 
Yeah, that's so fascinating, that last point. Hey, Jen, about like, would your kids respond if I was walking through the forest calling their name and they didn't know who I was? Yeah, it's such a good point because sometimes you're balancing the message like, we don't talk to strangers, but in fact, in this situation, please do talk (laughs) to the strangers (laughs) who are coming up to you. Um, And we have played that game with our children. Like we often will go into and be like, if you got lost, what would you do? And our children know that the correct answer is stop moving. You know, if you're in a safe spot, stop moving and hug a tree Um, because that is one of the simplest and most effective ways, not just for children, but also adults to be found. Um, There's often this misconception like, well, I'll just walk over to the next ridge or I'll just peek a little bit farther. Um, And that's often how people can find themselves in an even more dangerous situation later on. So certainly with small children, we want those small feet to stop moving as quick as possible, hug the closest tree, and hopefully help is only a few minutes away. Um, Now, for those of us who are getting outside for the very first time, uh, whether that's with children or not with children, um, you know, the three T's that you alluded to in the beginning for trip planning, um, what should we be doing, especially as parents, to make sure that we're following those three T's to get outside? those a lot in all of our media and 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 messaging and programs and the idea is it's really like the trifecta of outdoor safety we like to say it's it's easy to remember these are call to actions these are what you can do these are your to-dos and they really will make your adventure safer for you your group your party and if anything happens this will set you up for more success with search and rescue because you could reduce the severity of a search and rescue call by following these three t's so what are they the first one is trip planning. In detail, all enthusiasts need to trip plan, figure out the route they're heading out on, who they're going with, where they're going, when they're coming back, what gear are you taking, what transportation are you taking, what is the route, is there a plan A, plan B, and the idea is to go through this in detail and really leave all of that information with a trusted emergency contact. That's a key piece. Pick that person strategically and make sure that they are aware of the role they play in case you don't return on time. We have an app for that. The Adventure Smart Trip Plan app makes it super easy. Plus, it's free of charge. You can find that at any app store. And uh, it prompts you through the fields of a few things that I just mentioned. And then there's checklists on there of gear that you should take. And then you can add season and sports-specific gear. You enter your emergency contacts information. It's really, really cool. It's easy to use. So there's the Trip Plan app with Adventure Smart. The second T is training. Making sure you're equipped either physically, mentally as well, and or maybe possibly certification-based. Training can come in all shapes and forms from a first aid course to mentorship, uh, communications, navigation, um, avalanche skills training in the winter. There's many forms of training. So that's the second T. And then the third, taking essentials with you. So take those essentials with you all the time. The list is lengthy uh, because it gets added to, depending on the season and the sport, right? We have a few things that we start with, which set the foundation of your pack, and you add to it season and sport specific. So just a reminder, trip planning, training, and taking the essentials. Jen has been my emergency contact on many trips, right, Jen? Be like, hey, we're going to Widgeon Falls. We'll be back at this time. If you don't hear from us, here's what you do. Here's, you know who I'm with. You know my car. Anyway, these, <laughs> these little things that, like, I think – They're intuitive once you hear them, Sandra, but I don't think necessarily they're the kind of thing that you'd think about right up front. It's like, well, you know, I surely I'll be able to find my way out. We're not going that far from the car. We're not going on a very long adventure. These are some of the things that might stop you from actually taking some of those actions. 
I'm sure you have those kind of stories as well. The thing, the things that I find really fascinating here are the, the kinds of situations that lead to search and rescue incidents. And what the really big impact is, I think, you know, there's, there's obviously huge impact on the people involved, but the communities who actually go out and rescue you, they're all volunteers, right? So when there's the, you know, the helicopter coming out, that's volunteers on board. They're volunteering their time. They're sometimes being pulled away from like Thanksgiving dinner with their family. Can you tell us about those volunteers, the kinds of people who who take time out of their day, their job, to go and help people who've gotten stuck in the in um in BC and across Canada? Yeah, it's it's I always say it's an another level of volunteerism. I feel it's it's a, it's another step to uh, volunteering for your community, your province, or your country. Really, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. So in British Columbia, we're really fortunate to have highly trained, highly skilled, unpaid professionals, is how we also use that phrase to, to define the volunteers. Uh, and there's 78 search and rescue groups in the province of British Columbia, and there's 3,400 search and rescue volunteers on those 78 groups. So a really great contingency. Again, very professional, very very equipped and skilled and trained, following high standards of training to, to respond to any of these calls, depending on the discipline. And every year, there's about 1,500 search and rescue calls just in British Columbia. So we are, like I said earlier, a busy province, a healthy one, an active one. We love to play outside. We have easy access to that terrain. And those volunteers are there to help us 24-7 anytime we need help. And, and to remind those, in case you don't know, uh, the number to call is 911 if you're in an emergency and call it as soon as you can. There's a few steps and processes that the search and rescue volunteers need to do before they can literally start hiking to you or driving to you or snowmobiling to you or mountain biking to you or flying to you. There's a number of steps they need to follow to make sure that it's safe for them first. Then they'll go after a few of the processes to find you and locate you. You are their number one priority, but prior to them looking for you, they place their safety first. So again, 78 teams, 3,400 volunteers, they respond to 1,500 currently, search and rescue calls in the province of BC. And, and just to figure out, you know, what's happening out there, who's, who's getting rescued a lot, and, and what's the main reasons for search and rescue, we have a really um, detailed, excellent provincial data management system. So all those search and rescue calls are entered into a data management system in BC. I get to use that information for outdoor education, and we know the top three primary reasons for search and rescue in British Columbia are injury, getting lost or disoriented, and exceeding abilities. That's a common thread for all user groups. We also know in the summertime, in the southwest of British Columbia, the highest user group that needs search and rescue are hikers. We also note in the winter, based on that data, the highest user group that needs search and rescue are snowmobilers and East Kootenays. We can get down into the weeds like that, which for me is exciting because then I can craft and draft and output messaging to those communities, even though we have an overlying message provincially of those three T's as, as an example. So again, those volunteers are dedicated, highly trained, skilled, and we're fortunate to have them. Uh, again, they're unpaid. You will not be charged for search and rescue as a, as a little extra piece there. We're actually doing a webinar tonight about that. The president of the BC Search and Rescue Association is going to be a guest on our BC Adventure Smart webinar series. And he'll elaborate a little bit more about that. We'll also have it available via YouTube later. But yeah, we, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't get by without those volunteers because we have so many people that love to recreate in British Columbia. Yeah. And it's a really important point that needs to be said so many times that 
it is free to call. If you are listening in from another country, especially I might want to point out the United States, uh, this might be shocking to you that our search and rescue is free. Also, the healthcare that might be provided to you if you're in Canada here um, is free, of course, if you're a Canadian citizen. Um, and it's important to call earlier than you think. I know Search and Rescue has said this many times where sometimes people wait and they continue to wait to call because they think they can hike out or they think they can hike or limp out if they are injured. Um, and we know that you're just running against the clock then with daylight hours, um, especially if you're not in peak summer season where our daylight season here is even shorter in Canada. Um, I'm sure our search and rescue team would rather you call early and maybe you don't need a rescue by the end or get a hold of somebody very early before you find yourself in an even more dangerous situation. So always have the confidence that you can call 911. Um, they'll connect you with the correct search and rescue team based on your location um, and then can assess kind of next steps for you. But it, it is really powerful if you watch any of the videos, which I do all the time, of the amazing search and rescues that come out and the training that they have. Um, and the people, of course, are always super grateful because sometimes even with the best of intentions, you know, there's been stories where the hikers, they follow the three T's, they have the essentials, you know, they follow that they follow the checklist. And sometimes you slip and fall and you, you do unfortunately get hurt on the trail. Um, so no matter what your situation is that you found yourself in, uh, please do get a hold of our search and rescue teams because they would love to get to you sooner so that you don't have to spend a night, uh, perhaps overnight waiting for, for the next day to come. Um, now, Sandra, I mean, maybe let's put you on the spot here in kind of a, a lighthearted way to shift the conversation. Um, as someone who knows so much about, of course, preparedness and getting outside, uh, you know, you mentioned that your children are, are now a little bit older, but what was your experience like as maybe a younger uh, parent with younger children getting out? Were you kind of always involved in this kind of uh, backcountry adventure or, or was it newer to you when you were a new parent as well? Great question. Thanks for asking. I moved to British Columbia from Ontario over 30 years ago. And I came here and I felt like I had come home. Yes. And I had never been and I had <laughs> never been there before. Okay, Kate can relate. So Jen too. It, Jen's also from Ontario. <laughs> also okay, from Ontario. <laughs> okay, the three of us can relate. This is a story that we all can understand. So I got here, boom, and same as you, I felt like I'd come home. I'd never been here before. It felt like a piece of my puzzle had been missing and I didn't know it was missing. Anyway, long story short, I'm still here and have been loving every minute of it. And it just felt like home to me. It just felt natural to be here. And, and at that point in time, because we weren't an outdoorsy family growing up in Ontario, we didn't go camping. We didn't go hiking. We didn't go biking. We didn't, you know, uh, that wasn't our, our, our gig. We, so when I got here, I was introducing myself to these activities, but also feeling really comfortable as well in that environment. So when, at the time when I started um, our family here, um, when we started having the kids, it, it was just natural to head outside for a hike. And that's where we ate lunch was by the creek, right? And we played with the rocks and uh, we explored and, and looked at all the little bugs and the, and the little things in the creek and the rivers and the mud. And, and, and it was just part of what we did. It didn't seem like I had to really think about it. It, just is, it was just our lifestyle. As I know it is for so many in British Columbia, it's no different for those of us who have lived in mountain towns or mountain communities and or just that's our go-to. It's just what we do, right? And and it makes it easy to do it with other families. It makes it easier for those children to be sharing this experience with other children that, that age, young and old, really. As my children spend time outside of British Columbia a little bit here and there, they're quickly realizing how lucky we all are here 
and what we've got to do along the way. And that's exciting to hear as a parent. So, you know, you've done something right when they, they, they come back full circle and, and know that, that that's appreciated. And as we talked about earlier training, I don't like to talk about training in relation to parenting because it's not. But the point I'm making is that we're exposing our children to decision making. We're exposing our children to environments. Uh, we're exposing our children to gear and activities and movement in the outdoors and, 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 and engaging with risk, really engaging with risk. We could be walking along a creek side and we're on wobbly wet rocks and how are we doing? everybody okay you know <laughs> what decisions are they making and letting them have that freedom to make those decisions individually and not guard them i for me i i wasn't a helicopter parent so i i was comfortable in letting them slip and trip and fall safely if that makes mm -hmm. sense uh so i think it's a great way to expose them to that and then we just kind of learn through hearing and seeing our parents and other friends do what we know is the safe way and they've heard me talk about adventure smart since they were little so they they don't have a choice <laughs> And now they get to hear it from me from home because now I'm working remotely. So they are um, uh, exposed, like it or not, to <laughs> what we're talking about today. So, Sandra, that perspective is really interesting, though, right? Like 30 years ago um, and, you know, over the last 30 years raising children here, you know, Jen and I have moved here much more recently and we've only had kids in the last, how old are our kids, Jen? Six years. Um, Six. <laughs> but how do you think that attitude to the outdoors has changed, particularly how it relates to search and rescue incidents? Like, what do you see as the main drivers for why there's more search and rescue incidents now than there were? How has the representation of incidents changed in response to um, various things in our cultures, like social media um and what kind of impact do those things have on on your work i guess a lot's changed a lot's changed in 30 years i can say that personally mm -hmm. uh, i can say that professionally uh, prior to this job and and um uh, a few years ago when the kids were younger i was a bc park ranger with bc park so i did that for about 12 years prior to having the kids and during right so i i could see the outdoor recreation trends and habits and park visitors uh, way back in 1992, I can say that now. Uh, and, and that is different than it is now. And, and I live on the Southwest here and in, in Sea to Sky Corridor between Western and North Vancouver. And I know now when I go to do these activities, hiking, mountain biking, snowmobiling, whatever it is, micro spiking, it's different now than it used to be. I, I sounded a little sad when I just said that. I didn't mean it to be sad, but I can <laughs> definitely see that it's um, it's changed. Obviously, there's a massive growth in outdoor recreation. So the areas and the trails and the parks are way, way busier than they ever used to be. They're also populated by, I feel, a, a great variety of users. Don't get me wrong. A really great variety of users. Also, many that are completely unaware of their environment, uh, completely. And I say that respectfully, and I use the word unaware because they, they are unaware. I'm unaware about many things outside of my realm. And mm -hmm. so we, we're, we're all not all experts in everything. So everybody has grace. However, when there's so much reliable outdoor education, you're, you know, your podcast is a great example. What I do for my work is a great example. Wintertime Avalanche Canada puts out great information. BC Park is an awesome supporter. Kate and I were just at a beautiful conference with over a hundred different organizations that are here for the for outdoor enthusiasts. There's access to really great information. So in my professional opinion, there's there's access to 
reliable resources that can help reduce the number and severity of any incident. So I feel there's so many factors in that equation, Kate, you asked what what's kind of created a different environment, maybe social media, no question. I believe that the the influence it has, good or bad, good and bad, uh, <laughs> the opportunity to use it to increase awareness. I'm on it all the time with BC Adventure Smart. We engage there, we educate there, we have fun there, opportunities, webinars. It's awesome. It's also saturated. And it's also uh, an opportunity for people to see and maybe not understand completely what they're looking at. Let's say someone's at the peak and next thing you know, that person looking at that video on Instagram wants to go there next weekend. They don't know what it takes to get there. They don't know what uh, the trail conditions are. They're not even really sure where to search for trail conditions or let alone to be prepared for that. Communications, first aid, what to do in an emergency. Could they spend the night? Are they physically and mentally fit to do this? The list goes on. So yeah, social media does play a role and I believe it's it's um, diluted a lot of people's um, ideas. Uh, and But there's also opportunity there and, and access to the right information. So if it's sought after, it can be found, and, and then you can really um, fill your literal and mental toolbox to do the right things. There's so many factors, though. We have, we have much more encouragement to spend time outside for physical and mental wellness. You know, through the pandemic, Dr. Bonnie Henry encouraged everybody to go outside. They did. What did we see? A 30% increase in search and rescue call volume. Uh, the trends have continued, and, and different... Um, cultures and backgrounds are spending more time outside, new Canadians, newcomers. I work closely with different immigration services and, and newcomer groups to help that user group who might be new to our environment get informed so that they can be safe. There's a lot of factors. I think there's a lot of factors and a lot of layers to um, what is happening now on the trails and in the mountains and the impacts we're having in those environments, you know, we've got great campaigns out there like Don't Love It to Death and the Campers Code and and everything that Yay, we all the do. the Campers in- Code! <laughs> <laughs> Sandra and I work on the Campers Code together, right, Sandra? Yes. We do, we do. We launched a great video today, actually, about planning and prepared. So fun. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot out there to, to get it right. Yes. And, and if we can continue to encourage everyone through podcasts and media, I'm on TV a bunch and on radio and... Uh, you know, all of us do our best, really, mm-hmm. as industry to support residents and visitors. But it takes all of us as a collective. That includes the enthusiasts. I was it's such a good point about I think the saturation too. Um, as many of you know, I mean, I my primary job is in social media, and I also work for a pretty big hiking company in social media, and. Even though, and you probably feel the same way, Sandra, like this time of year, especially where we're recording this is May. Uh, currently, the weather here in BC and the lower mainland is very hot. Uh, so this is a, a time of year where actually we often see a lot of search and rescue calls because people go, it's 30 degrees. Surely the snow must be melted in the Alpine when in fact it's actually it can be a very high risk situation in the Alpine. Um, and so this time of year, we have to put on like almost every single post verbatim, like Yes, there is still snow at Garibaldi. Yes, there is still snow at Joffrey Lakes. Every single post, every single day. Um, and I'm in a few hiking groups here. There's a there's a pretty big Facebook group called Hiking in BC. And I kid you not, every day someone asks the question without having done any research first. And I think sometimes it's frustrating to see like 
You literally could look for this information in so many places, including the group you are in, because there's entire threads about snow conditions and snow packs. <laughs> and people will point that out. Like there's entire threads we post about oh, it every man. day that, yes, in fact, there is still snow at, you know, these very popular locations here in BC. Uh, and sometimes it's almost like, how do you cut through the noise, right? Because there is so much like you guys do such an amazing job of putting out this valuable education piece every single day. Um, and it, it's making sure it gets through to the right places. So I definitely hear you on on sharing that message in as many ways as you possibly can to try and get through to the right audience. That's a tricky part, isn't it, Jenna? And you made some awesome points because we continue to do what we do because we love it and we're passionate and we get to do it for work and our volunteering and and all for the good of all for public safety, really. Um, what makes it unique is how we reach this, these different user groups, because it's not just hikers, let's say I'm trying to reach, it's not just snowmobilers, it's not just new Canadians, it's not just paddlers, it's not just clients, it's everybody, it's everybody. And everybody has a different approach to outdoor recreation and attitude and energy. They also have a different journey. And when I say journey, I, I mean, literal journey, I mean, um, online journey. And so wherever you literally travel, I need to find that out and figure out where you're traveling so I can increase your awareness about preparedness, right? How do I find Jen and Kate in their world is what I have to think about every single day, right? Do I need to put an ad on the bus? Do I need to be on Spotify? Do I need to be on Global News because you watch it every day at uh, 7 a.m. over your coffee? Do I need to be on CBC to get a bit of a national message there? Um, I've had a few chances to be on the national, but you know, you have to think about where do I go? Where do I go online? Where do I go on social? Do I add some cheeky, funny stuff to our social to captive, uh, capture another audience? Do we do we head over here and do something else with tourism? You know, the list just continues to grow, which I love. Keeps it very dynamic and, and unique. But it's also a little psychology behind it, isn't there? And trying to figure out where are people going and how will they be attracted to that message? How will they be attracted to that, right? That's, um, yeah, there's more to it than just putting out information speaking of the information that you create sandra you know in my in my day job and whenever somebody asks me about this and whenever we have a chance on this podcast we always direct people towards adventure smart in bc uh, for the amazing resources that you create sandra can you tell us uh, the best places for people to find resources um, about all of the different programs you've mentioned more details about the three t's where can they find you online Easy peasy. That's always great to offer up. So in British Columbia, uh, I would head over to the BC Search and Rescue Association's website, actually. I have a full section there on outdoor education, and it's all of the BC Adventure Smart information, resources, events, trail-specific videos, uh, over 30 learning opportunities that we have online of past and upcoming uh, webinar events. So BC Search and Rescue Association, bcsara.com, go to the outdoor education page. You'll see it all there. It's awesome. You could also head over to our BC Adventure Smart Facebook, BC Adventure Smart Twitter, BC Adventure Smart Instagram. Instagram, lots of fun happening over there. They're all fun. Instagram's my fave. Uh, and they're all at the same handle, BCADV Smart. And also, of course, at adventuresmart.ca. The, the Adventure Smart website is the national platform that all the ones I, I mentioned prior to that are provincial platforms. Um, we're all here though, collectively to help you and to offer you resources. And again, they're, they're really fun. I'd say if I could do one little plug between tonight, literally at 6 PM and August 3rd, 
We have a series of webinars that are happening, uh, and those can be found there at the bcsorrow.com address there under outdoor education events. And and there's so many great speakers coming on from risk management to canine safety for those dog lovers out there. We've got some great safety about dogs, and we've got a, a, a evening there with the Alzheimer's Society of BC. We've got a doctor and a search and rescue volunteer to come on and talk about how essentials are essential. And uh, I'll deliver the Survive Outside program, no charge for rescue. So really fun, really fun. Hope to see you there. Great. And Sandra, those videos of the trails, I love those videos. We use them uh, for our staff, uh, volunteers who are heading out to different places in my job, but also just to get an idea of like, what does this trail look like? And you've created those videos for the ones with the most search and rescue incidents. So I definitely um, recommend those videos as great resources, particularly if you've never done one of the trails you're heading out on. Um, thank you so much, Sandra. This has been a, a really fascinating topic. We, As I said, we've talked about it a lot, but it's been really great to have you on the podcast today. Also, lovely to meet in person. Jen, do you remember how nice it is to meet people in person? Sandra and I got to meet in person for the first time in like three years, two years uh, in Revelstoke last week for an event. And that was really lovely to meet you in person. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sandra. I really appreciate um, all of these tips and advice. We'll drop all of the links into the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks, you. Thank you very much. Take care. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you head over to Get Outside with Kids on Instagram or our website where we're dropping the latest episodes weekly. And of course, we're on wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you hit subscribe so you always get the latest episodes. And if you have ideas or suggestions for what you would like to hear in an upcoming week, make sure you send us a message on Instagram and we'd love to have your topics coming up. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you back next week with another episode.